Before I get to my next guest, Fred Lynn, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now back with me and next on the tee is Major League legend Fred Lynn. Let me remind you about Fred's background. He's from Chicago, Illinois. When he was one year old, his family moved out to Southern California. He was a four-sport star in high school, playing baseball, football, basketball, and he ran track as well. He was drafted by the New York Yankees, but chose to attend USC instead, and thank God for that. He helped USC win the College Baseball World Series in 1971, 72, and 73. He was then selected by the Boston Red Sox in the second round of the 1973 draft. Spent only two seasons in their minor leagues before going up to Boston late in the 1974 season. In 75, he came, became the first player in Major League history to win the Rookie of the Year and MVP awards in the same season. Over his seven seasons in Boston, Fred hit 308 with 124 home runs and 521 RBIs. In one of the dumbest trades in Red Sox history, he was traded to the California Angels in January of 1981. In 82, he helped them win the American League West Division Championship. Despite follow, uh, falling to the Milwaukee Brewers in the ALCS, Fred was named the ALCS MVP, becoming the first player on the losing team to win that award. In 1981, after only seven seasons in the major leagues, Lawrence Ritter and Dominic Honick included Fred in their book, The 100 Greatest Players in Baseball History. In 1983, Fred hit a grand slam in the All-Star game, becoming the first player to do that. He would go on to play for the Orioles, Tigers, and Padres as well. Retired with a career batting average of 280, a 360 on-base percentage, 306 home runs, 1,111 RBIs, and 1,960 hits. He was a nine-time All-Star, won four gold gloves. In 1996, he was inducted into the USC Hall of Fame. 2002, inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. 2007, inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. And in 2011, he was inducted into the Ted Williams Museum and Hitters Hall of Fame. July of 2017, inducted into the Omaha College Baseball Hall of Fame. 
And I'm very honored. I get to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Fred, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Chris. Great to talk to you. Fred, since we last talked, you've had double knee replacements. How are you doing? Are you pain-free now? Yeah, I, it basically, it, uh, I had two partial uh, knee replacements, uh, both on the insides of my knee. They're the bone on bone, and I was pretty much just worn out. It is pain-free. Uh, what drove me to the surgery, uh, that kind of pain is gone. Yeah, I'm still stiff. Uh, but I'm going through my PT like a mad dog. You know, it's not my first rodeo with PT, so I know how to do it. And I'm kind of, I always push the envelope when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I'm probably a little bit ahead of the game. There's not much I can't do right now. Um, I, I actually I just uh, had my first uh, plane trip across country and I survived that. So I'm happy about that. So I've checked off a lot of uh, boxes, Chris, and I'm doing pretty well. And Fred, about a month ago, you posted that you uh, played your first nine holes with those new knees, made a birdie out there. So how are you feeling about your golf game? Are you getting back to where you were? I played nine, and like I said, I, I, I missed a, about a 10-foot a birdie putt on my first hole. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, it would have been nice to birdie the first hole. Um, but I did uh, play nine, and then I played 18. Uh, my first 18, I, I rode a cart, which I never do. Um, shot 77. So right out of the gate, it was, was not bad. Um, and then the next time I played the week after that, I played nine holes and I walked. Um, and I survived that. And now I'm to the point where I'm going to get back to the game. I I haven't played since that. And I'm probably going to walk on Saturday and we'll see how I I play. I, I, I think I'll make it as far as my knees and uh, I might get a little fatigued, maybe. We'll see how my game goes, but uh, I'll just be happy to be out there again, uh, walking that little ball around, make some birdies, maybe. <laughs> so to that end, right? I mean, I got to imagine you're going to become more and more pain-free as as everything's you know heals and everything is good. I got to imagine that's got to be a huge relief for you because no matter how much you're used to playing in pain, it's got to be in the back of your mind when you're swinging that this could hurt or that could hurt. Or when you're walking, that you know it, it's it's painful to get up and down from from greens and that sort of thing. This has got to be a huge relief for you, and I got to imagine even better for your golf game. Yeah, I think in the long run, um, you're right. I mean, I was probably favoring, especially because I've swing left-handed. My, my left side, my left knee was a little worse than the right. You know, you know, you load up on that side, so that knee takes a little bit more pressure than the other one does. Um, it was getting to the point where just walking was bothersome you know it's been so long that i i've been pain-free i can't remember when it was um in fact my legs were so i was so bow-legged it looked like uh, croquet wickets wow um, and now i'm straight so i gained about an inch and a half of height um from the surgery you know is that right I'm, i haven't been able to put my knees together i can't even remember how long that's been so just everyday stuff that i do um, I, I don't feel it anymore. Yeah, I'm stiff. You know, I still have stiffness. That's just from the surgery itself. And, but uh, the pain that drove me to the surgery, that's all gone. So I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, I, it's my career playing baseball. <laughs> I had a bunch of injuries. And at the end, I said, you know, I, I think I'm getting a little tired of going out there and struggling through the pain. And uh, if I would have had a, a surgery to get rid of that at that point, I would probably play some more baseball. But 
Um, this, like you said, is just a gigantic relief for me. Just doing ordinary things, just sitting around, um, doing household chores. Um, all of those things are a lot easier now than they, they, they've ever been, to be honest. Fred, you mentioned in a tweet that you never tire of golf banter with friends. You specifically mentioned Mark Kalkovecchia, who's a wonderful friend of this show. And Mark is also making his way back from knee replacement surgery. How do you know Mark? Um, I met him a couple of times um, at uh, charity events. And then uh, we've uh, conversed on, on Twitter. And he's got a pretty sharp wit. <laughs> he, 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 maybe he played baseball <laughs> because he's got that kind of sense of humor. You know, we're um, we're not fatalistic, but, you know, it's especially in my era that I played baseball, eh, there was a lot of pressure back then. Um, and so you you your sense of humor, it might be a little bit more cutting, a little more dark. And I, I kind of sense that with Calc. Um, you know, he was kind of a flamboyant guy, always went for the pin, which I liked. I uh, never played it safe, which I liked. <laughs> If he'd have been an outfielder, he'd have been running into walls like me. <laughs> Fred, when, when you started doing your rehab back in March, you posted a video of you in your pool walking around when the pool water was a cool 56 degrees. That had to be brutal, lowering <laughs> yourself into that water. I'm sure it did in your knees a lot of good, but boy, that's that takes a lot of guts. You know, uh, as an athlete, you know, you're used to vice. Um, you know, ice is our friend, um, and ice only bothers you, or, or cold temperatures only bother you for that first minute or so. But yeah, you're you just you just kind of grit your teeth, and you know that after like two minutes, that's about it. You won't feel anything. But then you don't want to move because as soon as you move, the water starts swishing up on parts of your body that aren't numb yet. You go, whoa! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> so I was uh. I was going to my knees and not much higher. <laughs> As you look out to the rest of the summer, Fred, do you have a goal in mind for what you want to achieve with your golf game? Again, I'm anxious to see, Chris, what my golf swing uh, looks and feels like. Um, you know, I, golf is one of those games that I took up because I had pretty good hand-eye coordination, and it, it came pretty easily to me. I'm kind of self-taught, and I, I watch TV a lot. I see what the guys do on TV, and I said, oh, well, see if I can emulate that on the driving range, and uh, maybe somebody would show me how to hit a particular shot, and then i go practice it, um, and that's how I learned. So now, with these new knees, um, I'm kind of excited to see how my swing has evolved. Um, when you get older, you know, your backswing gets shorter. There's just no question about that. So you try to to compensate uh, with a shorter backswing, maybe moving your hips a little bit quicker through the hitting zone, like you would a baseball. Um, so I'm just anxious to see how it plays out. I know my short game, that's not going to change. My putting shouldn't change any. Um, but as far as my length, we'll see. Uh, you know, for my age, I, I can still move it. Um, it will be whether I can score with my wedges. Uh, that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, that was the hardest part uh, of my game when my knees were bugging me because I, I wasn't completing my backswing with my legs. And now that they're they're pain-free, uh, I hopefully I can score more with my wedge game. 
You and Jim Rice have played a lot of golf together. How's Rice's game? Long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jimmy hits the ball. Okay, so when I met Jim, uh, we were in Bristol, double A. I didn't sign until mid-July of 73. So their season was darn near over, right? So we meet up, and uh, Louisville Slugger back in the day uh, would give you $200 to use their bats, basically have your signature on the bat. So Jim and I decided instead of taking that 200 bucks, we took golf clubs. And so we kind of learned together. There were Wilson staffs where everything looked like a two iron back in the day, right? And we just kind of grabbed it like a, a bat and just beat the heck out of it. Um, and we could, we could squash the ball. We just didn't know where it was going. But Jimmy took the game a lot more seriously, a lot quicker than I did. He became a, a really good golfer. He hung around with Hawk Harrelson, if you remember right. He was an announcer with the Red yeah. Sox, obviously made a big name with the White Sox. But uh, he wanted to be a pro golfer at one time. So he and Jimmy uh, started palling around. And Jimmy picked up a lot of game from him. And uh, Bob Montgomery was a really good golfer. He was our backup catcher to Carlton Pisk. So he hung with those guys, and he really took time to think about what the golf swing was. He was a little bit more analytical about it than I was. I, I kind of played like I played baseball. You know, I just kind of put the ball on the ground and whacked it. Um, but Jimmy thought about it a little bit more. So his game advanced quicker than mine did. But when we play together, we never play against each other. We're always partners. And for geez. For as long as we've been partners, he's the guy that scares everybody because when he hits the golf ball, Chris, it makes a different sound. I don't care if you're the pros on tour. I don't care who you want to match up. I'll match the sound that Jimmy can make <laughs> when he hits that golf ball with a driver. And anybody, he, he hits like a seven-degree driver. And wow. it's just Yeah, the really? club, just, there's no club shaft strong enough. It looks like it's made out of rubber. When he starts his, the club hit down into the hitting zone, if that thing is bent, <laughs> it's, I saw him snap the head off a driver uh, just at contact. And I said, that's not right. <laughs> back when we were using persimmon, right? And, and he just comes down in, her, in that, that, that shaft. It's just groaning. And he hit the ball. The, the, the head just snapped right up. We're about 150 yards. It's like, <laughs> Could be outgunned here, so that's why he's my partner. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And you've been out to the kingdom, right? And you're a tailor-made guy, aren't you? Yes. What's it like when you've been out there to to test their products and get fit? Um, when I went uh, there, uh, Tiger Woods was either coming or just—I think he was coming in. So Tiger's bag was like right next to mine. And, you know, all, all his clubs in a big locker form and stuff. And I said, well, this is pretty cool. Some guy named Tiger Woods is coming here, too. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll let that sink in. So, uh, again, I'm not a, a technical guy, but w- when I was hitting their their irons, uh, I, I noticed that when I made nice contact, I just, it was like butter. And, and then I, I got to the driver, the stealth. And uh, I felt like I could move. I always want to be able to move the ball both ways. You know, hit a, hit a little draw if I need to, sort of like hit a cut if I want to. 
And I can do that with their driver. Some drivers comes off so hot that <clears throat> I can't do that. So I don't want to be limited uh, with what I can do, especially with the, the driver. To me, that's next to the putter. It's the mo most important club in the bag because you got to keep yourself in play. You know, get it down there as far as you can. I'm not one of those guys that really says, "Well, maybe I don't need a driver in this hole." Nah, I need a driver in this hole because I'm going to get as close to the green as I can. So I need to sometimes when it's a little narrow, more narrow, I need to be able to manipulate that driver, and I can I can do it with a self. So what's your go-to shot? If you if you're in a in a pressure pack situation, you're playing in the tournament, what's your favorite? What's your go-to club in your bag? Uh probably mid irons. Um I you know, especially I can hit a six iron. That's you know, back in the day that was like my 180, you know, probably maybe even 190. Uh, right now it's probably 180. When I'm playing well and I'm playing a lot. And and I and I can move that club. I can hit a little drawer. I can hit eye cut. Um, I I I I know what I'm going to do with that club. Uh, I'm a pretty good, you know, five six four five six iron guy. I I, I kind of like those clubs. Uh, I'm pretty good with them. I just need to get better with my wedge. <laughs> I need to give myself some twelve footers instead of twenty five foot. You know, I hit them on the green. And with a wedge in your hand or a nine iron, you should be knocking pin down. And I haven't been doing that uh, of late, so you know that's my goal is is to go out there and, and start uh, scoring, you know, 150 yards in. I'm sure you've had some opportunities to play in some really great events and on some fantastic golf courses. What are some of your favorite memories and favorite courses that you've had an opportunity to get out on? Um, right before my my surgery, um, I, I got to play. Uh, uh, Pebble Beach again, and it was uh, kind of in the winter, so it was, you know, what it's like. Well, any time it could be like that in the summer up there, but um, it was misty, little fog. You know, you know, we're teeing off on the first hole. And it's a hard dog leg right, which not a great shot for me, a left-hander. And I'm just thinking, okay, I kind of see where I'm supposed to go, and you know, Caddy saying, "Well, kind of go over there," and I'm thinking, yeah, all right. Uh, but anytime I can play pebble, I don't care what the conditions are. You know, it, it's just such a, a, a fun golf course. And when you see it on TV, you only see the back nine. Uh, the front nine is kind of fun, too. Um, some pr pretty good holes. You just don't see them a lot. And uh, the greens are so tiny there. And uh, local knowledge comes into play big time. And I just, I just like that golf course because no two holes are the same. You know, they're, it's laid out so uh, wonderfully that uh, you have to uh, be able to move the ball both ways. And I, I think a golf course, you know, I don't want to have a stock shot on a golf course. I can just hit a cut all day long. You know, that's great if you can, you know, if that's your game. But I, I like to be able to, to manipulate the ball and move it. And that's the, the fun part for me. And on the golf course like Pebble, um, you're required to do. So I got to ask, and you mentioned that we don't get to see the front nine all that much. The par three seventh hole, that little short par three, 106 yards, and I guess it plays anywhere from high 90s to, to right around 106. But when, <laughs> but when the wind kicks up, I've heard guys talk about hitting any anywhere from five iron to 60 degree wedge. What's been your experience playing that hole? Yeah, I've, I've played there three or four times. 
And it's different every time. Yeah, normally it would be like a, a gap wedge or something like that. Um, the, the wind, the, the ocean is on your right. It's in front of you, it's on your right, but the wind comes off the west. So it comes right to left mostly. Um, and it can hurt a little bit. So you don't want to hit a, necessarily a high shot. You want to knock something down. Even if it's the playing the 110 or whatever it is, uh, you don't want to get the ball up in the air because it's, the green is as big as a dime. It's not big at all. Uh, you know, that's sort of a hole you're supposed to hit it. But if there's any wind at all and you get the ball up in the air, it's going to move 10 yards and you'll miss the green. And there's no room to the left. Left and long, you're in the rocks. So uh, I've hit, the, the most club I've hit there is like a knockdown seven. You know, kind of put it and just hit, just hit up, try to let a little line drive back in your stance and just keep it low. And uh, that's, that's how, you, how you play those shots. And that's how I play them anyway. Uh, there's a shot at Torrey Pines. It's, I think it's number one, two. I think it's the third hole. And it's a downhill par three, ocean to the right. Bigger green, uh, but a big barranca on the left. Same kind of thing. If the wind kicks up and you play and pins far left and there's a big barranca there you go long left you're gone that's a making a double bogey so same kind of shot knockdowns so anything that's on the water on the coast uh, in california you got to play some of those knockdown shots outside of jim rice who are some of the other athletes or entertainers that you enjoy getting out on the golf course with you know uh geez i probably started playing in these celebrity tournaments and charity events probably in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. And uh, I, I used to play in the, the Frank Sinatra, which was out in the desert. And it's kind of like a, a mini Bob Hope uh, tournament. And it's just all kinds of celebrities, and actors and uh, comedians. I remember playing with Buddy Hackett. You know, I, I, he was so funny, I couldn't, I couldn't even play. He was telling <laughs> jokes all the time. And, you know, he speaks, you know how he speaks. And yeah. it's just, <laughs> you laugh so much. It, you, you can't play golf. And who cares anyway? We're just having a good time. It's all for charity anyway. Uh, so I really enjoy those kinds of things, playing with uh, actors and actresses and comedians, uh, people that sometimes, you know, maybe other athletes from different sports, football players. Uh, I, I played in uh, a tournament. Billy Kilmer was an ex-quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He grew up uh, uh, in the area where I grew up. And he had an all-football tournament, but because we, we grew up in the same area, he invited me to this tournament all the time. And Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus, uh, Bolitnikoff, uh, Ben Davidson, guys like that were playing. And <laughs> football players back then, they're a little different breed of cat. You know, <laughs> some of them could play golf, but they like to have their libations. And so we'd have picks on every hole. And... You know, it's a good thing I was spending the night there because I couldn't have drive, driven home. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those things were probably a little bit too much fun. <laughs> and speaking of football players, one of your former teammates at USC, Lynn Swan, we talked a little bit about this last time. Swanee's a member out at Augusta National. We sort of made a plea to get you out there with Swanee at has he uh, has he reached out yet to to invite you yeah, to come you know, play? He's 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 got uh, he's a little tone deaf, I think. You know, he's he's, he's still <laughs> got his helmet on sideways or something. He's covering up the ear hole. Swanee, hey, Swanee, <laughs> remember me? 
When's Juan Fred Lynn, you know, returning kicks? <laughs> yeah, you would think he's got to reach out and get you on Augusta National, right? Yeah, come on. We'll just play a practice round. You know, I'll give you shots. I don't care. <laughs> so, Fred, do you have, are there courses still on your bucket list that you want to play? Well, that's number one, obviously. Of but course. I've never even been there. You, you see it on TV and you say, geez. <clears throat> I don't think TV does it justice because it does you not see the undulations of, of, of the golf course, just walking it, number one. And number two, the greens, how, how the shape that they are they're in, you know, the slopes on the greens. And boy, I think if you played there without a caddy, you might shoot a hundred and something. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to, to play that course just to see what it's like for myself. Um, you know, you, you I could probably play um aim on corner you know you'd be looking around for forty thousand people but you know playing it by yourself it would still be interesting you know i would envision fans and try to uh simulate the pressure that little par three 150 yards um and, and the guys are struggling because the wind comes through there and they can't tell where it's going and uh that's that's just kind of stuff that makes it fun but yeah that's still got to be number one i think i, I where else would you want to I mean, I, I've never, I've never played golf in Europe. So, I, I suppose if uh, in Scotland or Ireland, you know, play some of those courses, uh, link style, you know, windy, uh, trap balls and stuff like that. You know, I like scotch, so that would work out with my. <laughs> 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 that would work for me too. <laughs> Fred, I want to switch gears. I want to talk a little bit of baseball with you and. Last December, we lost Gaylord Perry, and looking over some of your social media, it appears like you and Gaylord were friends. What's your favorite Gaylord Perry story? Uh, okay, so <clears throat> I faced Gaylord uh, when he came over. You know, he was with the Giants. That's where he made his name, really. But then he came over to Cleveland in the American League, and I faced him. And, you know, Paul would do some funny things sometimes. Uh, and, and, you know, he had his reputation. We all knew what was going on. So now he's with the Seattle Mariners, and he's trying to win uh, number 300, all right? It was obviously a big deal. And he's he's an older guy. I don't know how old he was, but he looked like Santa Claus. And <clears throat> he's <laughs> he's wetting them up uh, just about every pitch. And then you know what he do? <laughs> just to, to mess with you, he'd take the rosin bag, and he'd just start jiggling it and just get so much rosin on his hand that when he released the ball, you'd see like a puff, poof. It's like a gunshot, you know. You see, like a puff of rosin, and he'd do that just to mess with it. But <clears throat> so he's, he, I, I'm telling you, the ball's dancing like Fred Astaire coming up to the plate. Well, Reggie Jackson's on the team. Well, this is the California Angels I'm with now. And I don't know if this kid's game or week or whatever. And Reggie <laughs> had enough. So he took the Gatorade uh, barrel and he threw it to him. He said, Here, use this. <laughs> and, you know, it, it bounced on the field and Gatorades, you know, all over the place. Of course, Reggie was asked to leave, uh, but he didn't care because he couldn't get a hit anyway. <laughs> That's crazy. So, you know what? You, you know, I, some, some, some old timer told me, he said, hey, kid, you know how you hit a spitter? And I said, no, how do you hit a spitter? He says, hit it on the dry side. All right. Well, that's what I tried to do with Gaylord. It didn't work too well. <laughs> June 18th, 1975, your rookie season. You guys go up to Detroit to play the Tigers. 
You hit three home runs and a triple, going five for six with 10 RBIs. What a way to announce your presence as a rookie. What do you remember about that game? Uh, I remember preceding that game, I just lost a 20-game hitting streak. Uh, Mickey Lowich, uh, their their premier left-hander. I think I was over four, maybe even over five, maybe four. So, uh, you know, that was that got under my skin a little bit. And so I went to the park early, took some extra BP, and Dwight Evans threw it, by the way. And we went to, a lot of us went to the ballpark early in Detroit because there wasn't much else to do back then. So <clears throat> Joe Coleman was pitching. And as a rookie, you don't know these guys. You just know the name. And you'll ask in the dugout, so what's he throw? Well, he's got a fastball slider. He's got a, some kind of curveball, some sort of off-speed pitch. Okay. <laughs> so he, that's it. So you just go up there and you look for the ball. That's what I do. <laughs> and then, you know, so I, I see ball, hit ball. Uh, so at the first three innings, I I home, homer, homer, triple, and I had driven in seven. <laughs> and the triple, uh, if you ever see this replay, it's kind of cool. Uh, the home runs were pretty well hit. In fact, the second one hit off a light tower, right center, kind of where Reggie Jackson hit his home run in the All-Star game of 71. And so that was a bomb. So the I hit a, the triple was into left center. And the ball was about, I don't know six inches off the dirt uh, out and away. And I reached out and I just, I don't know how I hit it that far, to be honest, but it missed being a home run by about four inches. And um, then I see, what did I do? I lined out to second. I got an infield hit. And my last time up, we're up 12 to one. And there aren't many people left in the stadium. <laughs> and there's two more guys on. I come up in the ninth, eighth and ninth. And I hit a ball into the upper deck and there's no one there. I mean, there's no one there. That ball still could be there. Some um, <laughs> usher got it the, the next day. I don't know. But there was nobody up, up there to get it. Um, so, yeah, I drove in 10. And, and so we go out to dinner uh, after the game, right? And we're going to a pretty nice restaurant. And <clears throat> they said, sir, sorry, you can't come in here. You don't have a sport coat. We're happy to give you one, but you can't come in here without a sport coat. So I just, <laughs> one of my teammates says, you know what kind of night this guy just had? We don't care. You can go across the street over there. <laughs> well, that'll teach me not to have a sport coat on. I couldn't even get into the restaurant. <laughs> well, they care. You, so maybe if I had gone six for six, maybe that'll let me in. <laughs> it, but when you're having a night like that, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, the, after you hit a, one home run, and, and let alone two or two or three, one's going to come high and tight. Were you were you yeah. were you looking out for one? No, it didn't happen because it was, a, you know, we were so far ahead. Um, but that did happen my, my first year. And it already had happened because that was middle of June. Um, that kind of stuff was happening in April. Uh, especially with left-handers. They'd knock you down just to see what you're made out of. Uh, I, rec- I remember this one guy knocked me down in Milwaukee. And the next pitch, I hit a homer. And so when that kind of stuff happens, when you – let the other clubs know that you you can't be intimidated. They don't do it anymore. So I, I kind of squelched that. Um, after you know you prove that uh, you prove your worth, and you, they piss you off, you're gonna you're gonna hurt them. Then they don't do it anymore. So in, even in that game, it was so out of hand that uh, they're not going to do something like that. They might do it the the next time they see you, but certain, not that game. Rico Petroselli is a, another wonderful friend of the show. You guys played a couple of seasons together. What was it like playing alongside Rico? 
I like Rico a lot. You know, um, that 75 team was just loaded with rookies. You know, Rice and I and, and Rick Barroso, we're all three rookies. And we're all 20, 22 and 23 years old. White Evans is only 23. Uh, so we get a lot of young guys. So the, the Yaz and Yastrzemski and Petroselli were the two guys, two position players that were on the 67 team. So, you know, they kind of were the, the, the veterans of the group. And Rico was a veteran in infield and Yaz in the outfield. Um, Rico was just a good guy. Uh, he had moved from short to third. And man, he had he had some great hands. He had hands that like a second baseman, uh, but he had power. You know, I, I think he was one of the first uh, shortstops at 40 homers. Um, and he was just a good guy. You know, his career ended short. Uh, it was shortened because he got hit in the head. Uh, we're playing a day game in Milwaukee. Back then, uh, they filled the seats uh, in center field. It didn't matter. You know, they, they, they were going to make all the money that they could. And, you know, people were wearing white shirts and stuff. And I remember Rico never even moved. He just see the ball and hit him on the side of the head. And then he had vertigo after that. And it cut his career short. You recently took part in an episode of PBS's Iconic America series. This one was about Fenway Park. What was it like for you being a part of that show? I, I watched that show. Uh, boy, PBS did a great job. They they got into the real history of the ballpark and the people that ran it and owned it and it, it was really interesting and having played there for seven years as, as a Red Sox and then played obviously as an opponent you know I had lots of things to say about the, the ballpark and it's just a for me it's my favorite ballpark of all time to play in it has as a defender there's so many unique things about playing center field there that aren't in other stadiums. You know, you got the green monster, get the ladder, you get the scoreboard. You, uh, there's this speaker system used to be out in center field. There's a doorway. There was wrought iron fence with Gothic spikes on it that you had to avoid. I mean, there was just so much stuff that was unique to Fenway. Uh, it was just fun to be there. And obviously then the atmosphere, because the fans are so close, there's no foul line. If you foul out there, you're going back. That, that's why one of the things that puts points on your average, there are no foul outs there. It's not like playing in Oakland. So, uh, in the Mystique, it's the oldest park in baseball. And it just has so much history. And all the greats that played before me, uh, from, from Babe Ruth to Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, and, and then the Tris Speaker, there's just hundreds of guys that stood where I stood. In center field. Um, so I, it was when I first got there, I just was saying, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and I did that over in Yankee Stadium too, but uh, before they, they renovated. Uh, and so I'm so happy that they kept Fenway intact. Yeah, they added some more seats and they, they put some gingerbread on it, but they kept the field intact and it looks the same to all the, the people that go there. And you, when you walk out of those tunnels and you come to, you see all that greenery. It's just, it's the best. All right, just a couple more before I let you go. And when you left Boston, they certainly didn't treat you great. The fact that they traded you at all is one of the worst things that ever happened to Red Sox Nation. Then and now, you're beloved by all of us. And it seems like the relationship is has been healed or has gotten back together because you're a wonderful spokesman for the Red Sox, and we all love seeing you out there. How did that all come back together? 
It came back together when the new ownership took over in 2002. Um, prior to that, uh, with, with the Yockeys in control, you know, they didn't really want me back, <laughs> to be honest. It was not a, a great relationship. But as soon as the new owners took over, they were they righted a, a bunch of wrongs in my book. They brought a lot of us back. Um, the first thing they did was they they put me in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, which like you know, I was flabbergasted um, to, to be to have the the club reach out to me uh, when I hadn't heard from them since I was traded. Uh, it was a big thing. It was a big deal because I, I was I was drafted by these guys. I came up with the Red Sox. I wanted to be there. I wanted to play my whole career there. So I have a definite affinity to the, the city and the ballpark and the fans. And so now it's given me a chance to uh, see the fans again. Uh, I go back there since 2002. They've been hosting the Legend Skybox for them, uh, for different people. And I, I get to talk to the fans. And when I'm in town, I, I, I see a lot of people. And it's just it's fun for my wife and I. She used to work in Boston, too. So it's a great relationship. and. And I'm, I'm sure happy that uh, that new ownership took over. Got to get your thoughts on on their season. They got off to a kind of a poor start, but have been red hot lately. What's your expectation for this Red Sox team? I'm stunned, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't have any expectations for the club because, you know, let's face it, they got rid of some pretty good players, um, some pretty good hitters. Those kind of guys are hard to replace. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how they're going to score runs. I, I just didn't see them hitting for power. I didn't know where the power source was going to, was going to come from, and they've really surprised me. Uh, they're scoring a lot of runs, um, and I just I look in the box scores and I see guys hitting. I know Verdugo can he can hit, and the, uh, was it Yamaguchi, uh, the Japanese player that they got? That guy can hit. Um, but there's a lot of question marks for me, but they're they're doing it in the toughest division in baseball. You know, the biggest surprise to me is is Tampa. I mean, I I didn't see that coming. I, I knew they'd be okay, but geez, what a start they got off to. So that division, again, everybody knew Baltimore was gonna be tough. They're not gonna sneak up on anybody this year. They're good. And when the Yankees get healthy again, they'll be back. And Toronto got five guys can tear the cover off the ball. So it's an exciting division. I'm glad the Red Sox are competitive. Um, they're just going to have to hit their way uh, to the playoffs. But right now, seems like they can do it. Fred, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you out there on social media? Well, I, you know, I do have a Twitter account and we, we chronicled my <laughs> surgery, uh, my surgeries. My with my knees, and we're trying to uh, let the the fans know what's going on. And I got some really interesting responses because of my knee surgeries from people that were thinking about it but didn't want to do it, but now are saying, "Well, you know, wait a minute, you know, if he can do two, maybe I can do one." And so it's given some people some hope. And and I've now seen where people have actually had some surgeries uh, after I had mine. And they're doing the PT just like I, I, I laid it out for them. And so it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, obviously I like to talk baseball, but now we're communicating on a kind of a different level. And I'm also hearing from uh, different doctors and PT people um, that are excited that I'm doing the process the right way and communicating uh, to the public about it. 
so that uh, more people can get this done if need be. Well, Fred, you are an inspiration to all of us. You have been ever since you came up in the major leagues. And I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back and sharing your golf stories, sharing more of your baseball stories. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you maybe a little bit later on this summer to find out now that you're out there playing again, getting through 18 holes, how the knees are holding up, and if you can get that handicap back down to a two. <laughs> you know what? That'd be a heck of a goal. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pin that one and because <laughs> I, I have the, the capabilities of doing that. And so let's talk later in the summer, and I'll have some game under my belt, then, and uh, I'll be better able to analyze my golf game and maybe I'll come up with a few more golf stories for you. There you go. Fred, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you again for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I look forward to catching up with you later this summer. Thanks, Chris. You always do a great job. It's always fun to talk to you. I look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Fred. That is the great Fred Lynn, folks. And they just don't come any better than Fred. He's a, he's a wonderful human being. And we obviously know what a great player he was during the course of his, his major league career. And and now getting to learn about him out on the golf course is fantastic. I was uh, I was sorry to see he needed to have the knee replacements done. But when you go out there and you take a look at his videos and how he's going through that physical therapy and the things that he's doing to get those knees back right and healthy, it's fantastic and inspirational. He's a great guy and a, and a heck of a player out on the golf course. So look forward to catching up with him. We'll, we'll find out. Can he get that handicap back down to it, too? He was there. And uh, he slipped a little bit back because of those knees, but hopefully he gets right back to where he used to be. Really looking forward to having him back uh, as part of the show again soon. 